Please welcome, please welcome, welcome. This is another episode of the Defenders of Business Value podcast, a podcast where we talk about what makes a business valuable, learn the tips and tactics to increase your company's value that only veteran dealmakers know. And now here's your host, Ed Mysokland. So one of the big questions I get a lot from business owners is like, you know, oh my gosh, I get all these calls. I get, you know, something about the search fund. You know that they're they're professional searchers, and it just seems like they they call regularly, and I don't know what to do do about them. You know, are they are they a buyer? Are they a private? I heard, uh, are they a private equity group? Are they a strategic buyer? Why are they? And how did they find me? So, at any rate, today's episode that's what it's about. Um, today we're talking about you know search funds. And there is a search fund, and it's uh, in this case 37th and Moss. Um, you know, uh, John John Washington and Nick Smith. We were talking. You know, those are those are the guys that are running the search fund, and they, these guys were kind enough to come on and and kind of pull pull the the pull the curtain back and say, all right, this is this is this is how we operate. This is what we're looking for. This is why we do what we do. And this is how you can tell the signal from the noise. And these guys were so transparent in in um, in what they shared, and, and and I'm so grateful for for their time. And and a shout out to Heather Enderson from Viso Capital. She uh, she connected us. So for a lot of business owners, this is the path for to your exit. You know, as far as you know, this type of buyer. So I hope, and I should say, I hope. I know you'll you'll uh, enjoy this episode because it it certainly should be eye opening. Enjoy the show. Well, Nick and John, welcome to the show. Uh, we're excited to be here, Ed. Thanks for having us. Thank uh, you, Ed. It, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome to it's awesome to have folks like you t- talk a a little bit about what. A lot of business owners are, have no idea about I, and, and I'm going to share this with you because this is this I don't have. A, I was going to put it up on the camera, but last night I, there was a movie. It was called the M and A movie. Have you ever heard of this? Mm-mm. No. There's a movie, and it's a, it's just lead gen, and this movie was all about just scaring the hell out of business owners. Like people like you are going to come in. They're going to offer five times what the business is worth. And then at the last minute, they're going to come in and they're going to take your, take the value. And, and you've invested so much time, energy and effort and money, you know, doing diligence, doing all this, that, and the other. And I, and, and they, they come back and they say, we we can buy it, but it's only going to be about 25% of what we said it was worth. And, and I'm telling you, I was in a room. So somebody had heard the podcast and they said, yeah, why don't you come, you know, listen to this thing. And I'm telling you, there was probably 80 business owners in, in the, in the audience that were just scared to death when they oh walked out of it. it. It was crazy. So, so that's why I'm, I'm excited about, about, and the timing was great that, that we can talk about, you know, how people like you operate. So, mm-hmm. On the introduction, you know, I talked, you know, a little bit about the two of you, but can you talk a little bit about 37th and Moss and how you guys formed, how you guys operate and, you know, just take it from there. 
Sure, sure. Well, why don't I get started and then John, I could turn it over to you. Thanks again, Ed, for having us. We're, we're excited to be on today. Um, John and I are entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, we're, we're entrepreneurs and we have a passion for small business ownership and operation. We worked together uh, at a small software company before launching 37th and Moss and really enjoyed building products for business owners, working with a talented team, and we enjoyed the support of a really helpful group of advisors. Um, when we launched our search, we wanted to replicate uh, a lot of those attributes. And given our previous experience in software engineering so far, we've been focused on uh, B2B services and technology companies. But we always, always enjoy connecting uh, with business owners, regardless uh, of the industry. Um, but yeah, what, what did I miss there, John? So yeah, we, one of the things that I'll point out here, Ed, first of all, is, is that the uh, unfortunate sequence of events in, in the movie there that you referenced <laughs> is, uh, is why Nick and I are, are doing what we're doing. We're entrepreneurs and we've been around a lot of business sales and we've operated companies. And uh, as we approach this process, one of the things that we like to remind people is that we're operators and we're looking for a business to operate. And as we've gotten out into the world and we've connected with entrepreneurs and we've learned about the unique paths that they've taken, uh, it's really just highlighted how diverse and incredibly interesting the American economy is. There are a lot of great companies, a lot of great entrepreneurs. Each business is unique and each one has an entrepreneur behind it that drives it. And we've loved talking to each one of them and look forward to continuing to do so. Yeah. You know, it, and, and that's, you know, I, I, I talked to, I tried to talk to as many business owners as I could last night. I'm like, you know, that's this, you know, that this is all legion, Right. This 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 doesn't happen in the real world. This 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 uh, in this case, it was a private equity group that was chasing this company, and you know they had people stalking you know the husband and the and the uh, wife and the and the kid on the beach, and it was it was, and I'm like, none of this is is accurate. Is that a Halloween movie, Ed? <laughs> no, wow. I'm telling you, I. It, you know, we've, we've done 2,200 deals and I'm sitting here going, I, you know, this is not the way the world works in, in this space. And I'm, mm -hmm. and I'm, and I'm sorry for, you know, I, for them scaring the hell out of you, but yeah, yeah. but, and, and I guess that's where, so people like you are different, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you don't operate that way. And, and that, and so I guess, why don't we start with, 37th of Moss. How does number one, where the where the name come from? And then number two, you know, how how do you guys operate? Yeah. Well, let me let me give you a little bit of the origin story on 37. Well, I'll give you my personal reason for joining 37th of Moss and jumping into it. And then we can give you, I'll give you a little bit of the origin story of the name, and then I'll turn it back over to John. But um, I mean, listen, Ed, I grew up around small businesses, grew up on a family farm. Uh, many, many different small business ventures on that family farm, as you can imagine. Uh, but I didn't go into small business. I went to the Navy. So I flew F-18s as a pilot in the Navy for a dozen years. My favorite tour as an F-18 pilot was when I was working with teams of engineers on really tough problems uh, in the test world. So I was a developmental test, uh, developmental test pilot. Uh, and we um, were trying to accomplish things that sometimes uh, hadn't been done before, which created this entrepreneurial environment. Um, 
And so when I got out of the Navy and thought about what do I want to do next, I wanted to work with a team. I wanted to work with a team full of people who thought like I did and thought about new and unique ways to approach things. Uh, but I didn't know anything about small business finance. So I went to a bank and started learning about small business finance. That's where I met Heather Anderson, who introduced yeah. the two of us. Shout uh, out to Heather. That's right. <laughs> and she's, she's so great. Learned a ton from her. I also got, that's where I started learning about search funds because I was underwriting yeah. search fund deals at, at Live Oak Bank. Um, and then I met John and moved over to the operating side in a software company. Uh, and when we started talking about what the next step could be, um, first of all, we knew that we wanted to partner together, reference back to that team thing. And then uh, we knew that small business, because we shared this, that's part of the reason we got along so well, is we shared this passion for small business ownership. Uh, we knew that, that that was in the cards. So the search fund um, really just made sense. So since we're a partnership, 37th and Moss, each of the names uh, represent part of us. There's really two stories to this, Ed, to 37th and Moss. Uh, the first is the 37th parallel separates Virginia from North Carolina. Uh, so All both right. of us have lived in Virginia. I was stationed in Virginia as an F-18 pilot for a while. And John spent some time up in Richmond uh, before both of us moved down to North Carolina. So there you go. The, the, our search is based in North Carolina, which the Southeast, Spanish moss. I growing on trees. Um, so that's, that's, the, nice. that's the story we like to tell. Um, the other part of the story that we don't tell as often, Ed, we'll give you a little bit of inside baseball here. John lives on 37th Street. I live on Moss Tree Drive. No, you uh, don't. And, and there you go. You just add really? the two together and you've got a 37th and Moss for you. Um, so so that, that's the origins of the name. Uh, but John, I'll turn it, turn it back over you for, the, uh, for more origin story. Yeah, this is so Ed, this is what happens when two people who aren't creative try to be creative. You end up with uh thirty right. seventh and, and Moss. But so I, I like to joke that um after working with Nick, I've learned that uh telling your story after an F eighteen pilot tells their story is always tough, tough uh group to follow up with there. But about ten years ago, I reconnected with a gentleman that I knew in college and this person was attempting to acquire a small business and he intended to step in and operate the business after the acquisition. And this was the first time that I came across the idea of entrepreneurship through acquisition. And at that time, I was working for a professional services firm that advised business owners on capital raising, business sales, things that you're very familiar with. Mm -hmm. And so I worked closely with a number of talented entrepreneurs and really grew fond of the type of value that these folks were creating. And when I talked to my college contact, I remember thinking that I lacked the knowledge and the confidence required to run a business because I hadn't done that before. Uh, but this was kind of my eureka moment, not so much that I wanted to go buy a business, but that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I left financial services and went to go work with an entrepreneur who had a few successful exits. And my goal was, was to learn, just sit behind this person and learn. And fast forward about nine years later, and it turns out that operating businesses has been extremely fulfilling for me. And one of the things that I enjoy about entrepreneurship is that I'm constantly learning about myself. Uh, for instance, along this journey, I've learned that I'm not as adept at formulating an idea as 
uh, I am at taking an idea that's already got momentum and working on that idea. And another lesson is that uh, good entrepreneurs are problem solvers and operating a business is an exercise in problem solving. So in thinking about a problem that Nick and I could solve, we started looking at some data and we came across a trend that really stood out to us. And that trend is that over half of US businesses are owned by someone age 55 years or older. So there's this huge succession need in the US and the combination of learning that my skill set's best suited to take a business from one to two rather than from zero to one, combined with this really, really big succession need resulted in the desire to pursue, pursue entrepreneurship through acquisition and in doing so, hopefully we can help solve a problem for a business owner. Nice. You know, the, the, the interesting thing that you just said is, and, and we bump into it a lot is uh, a lot of people don't understand what they're getting themselves into. I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I, you know, we, there are lots of people that can, can raise some capital. There's there, but they, but they fail to do the soul searching part and mm-hmm. they get down to the 11th hour and, and they can't pull the trigger because they haven't, they haven't quantified their, their personal risk. You know, what, what, what does this, how does this change my life? And, and, you know, and then we bump into the retrade because now all of a sudden their risk is higher and their value starts to, to, to decrease. So I applaud both of you for, for being, you know, looking past the numbers and looking more inward on, you know, what is it that you want to do collectively uh, and personally, not the the numbers Mm -hmm. are the numbers. And, um, you know, as you guys know, I mean, you you can't, you can't change the numbers, but you can't, but how well, how well you know yourself and what you're going to add post acquisition is, is, is so crucial to a successful acquisition. So good for you guys. Yeah. I think you'll find Ed that searchers want to be the man in the arena. You know what, that's what we're striving for to be the doers. Uh, and depending on the background of the searcher that you're talking to, maybe they've had experience with that, or maybe this is their first time jumping into the arena. Uh, but I think to every searcher you talk to is, is, is striving for that, you know, striving to take the lumps. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think we're, we're seeing, I think, I think there's, there's, um, a, a level of saturation. That's right. Uh, yeah. Saturization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think there, I, I think the, the space is there's some getting, getting saturated with a lot of people that, that haven't done their homework. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they spin up a website, they mm-hmm. talk about their acquisition criteria that's identical to everybody else's. Yep. And, and now all of a sudden they go to their library or wherever they get their information. And now they start peppering business owners that, mm-hmm. you know, we're a fund. And that's what leads me to my next question is that all funds aren't created equal. So yeah. I'm where, tell, tell me how, how you're, how you're structured and what makes you different? Cause I do think you're different. Yeah. And it's a great question. And I think that uh, the popularity of the search fund model uh, has grown so rapidly in the last few years. I mean, even in the last two years, what started as a handful of Stanford and Harvard MBA graduates uh, raising money from a few investors has evolved in this ecosystem um, with many, many, many different models. 
there's really two, it, it, there's a lot of different ways to slice this, but if you think about the two pillars of the search fund community, there's two different forms. One is the self-funded searcher, uh, and the other is the traditional search. And a self-funded searcher is just what it sounds like. I mean, uh, generally self-funded searchers will save up money uh, in order to get ready for the search and then live off their savings for up to 24 months while they try to find a company. Um, usually to close the deal, they, they get an SBA loan, uh, like an SBA 7A loan with a $5 million cap thereabouts uh, and, and a personal guarantee to go with it. Uh, but you know, they're, they're, they're living off their savings and, um, it's, it's a great, it's a great model, uh, for a specific type of company and a specific type of person. Um, traditional search funds, uh, raise capital in two rounds. Um, and from the get go, they're, uh, advised by a really experienced group of op entrepreneurs and operators. Uh, 37th and Moss is a traditional search fund. So we fall into this latter camp. But, uh, first in a traditional search, uh, traditional search fund, you go, uh, to the market, which is, there's a very robust now search fund investor market, as you can probably imagine, and go through a, a pretty extensive interview process. And the investors are, give you capital for the search. So that helps set up a professionalized search process due diligence, um, and some other things. But the biggest point is that throughout the search itself, and then even after the search, you're building deep relationships with the folks who have already given you capital. Um, mm -hmm. And then when, it, when you find the company, uh, you, uh, of course, lean on your advisors during the due diligence phase, but then they're already at the table, right? So, so you've already talked to them. You've been talking to them sometimes for two years. They're already at the table ready to invest in you. And that's that second round of capital raising in a, in a traditional search fund. Um, and uh, there's, a few, there's a few ways uh, that 37th and Moss is maybe even differentiated from most traditional search funds, because I think there's about 200 active now, but uh, I'll turn it over. To John. I'll just kind of park it there and let John give more color. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for, for us specifically, Nick and I are a partnered search. So when you go down this path, one of the very first questions that you ask yourself is, do I want to do this alone or do I want to do this with a partner? And based on the data that Nick and I have seen, partnered searches represent uh, the minority of searches with solo searches representing the majority. So this is one aspect of our search that's unique. And since day one, of my entrepreneurial journey, I felt that relying on partners and a strong team is important. And so the decision to pursue this with Nick and to do this with a partner uh, was easy to make. Another thing that is important to consider here and that differentiates searchers is background. Uh, between us, Nick and I have many years of experience as operators and entrepreneurs. And when we kind of think about uh, how we connect with business owners, we're often attempting to learn about patterns that we've identified while working in small businesses. So our backgrounds as operators give us a, a view that we think bodes well for partnering with a business. And on that topic of being good partners, um, one of the things that Nick and I agreed very early on is that we would try to differentiate our, our approach and, and our search by uh, being good stewards to business owners and, and having what we call a give to get mentality. So we're operators with entrepreneurial experience, but we're 
also folks that have experience with uh, financial services. And so collectively, Nick and I have represented companies during the sale process. We've raised growth capital. Uh, we've worked on underwriting for bank loans that funded small business acquisitions. And this all culminates in a combination of experience and exposure that we want to use to give back to the community. So Nick and I have published a lot of content and we will continue to. And we hope this content is useful for owners contemplating succession or, or a business sale. Well, I'm hoping that you're you're going to give me permission to uh, link your your uh, your ebook to the show notes um, of, about the guide to selling your business. So, if you guys are okay with it, and if you're not, that that's okay. <laughs> certainly, certainly permission okay. granted. Don't break our website, Ed. We, no, we don't I, need I, too I, much I, too much web traffic. Yeah, I I hope that we have that problem. Um, well, John, c- carry on with that. So, how? One of the the questions that I always get is how do you determine whether mm-hmm. these people are legitimate? Now, how do how do I know? You know, I mean, what is their behavior? Is there what? Where's the signal? Because there's a lot of noise, but 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 I I just don't know. I mean, we're having the conversation. I really like you, but how do I know that you know you're legit? Other than you have a website, you know? Yeah. Well, like liking us is a good start, and that's that's certainly important. You sh- you should like the people that you ultimately uh, contemplate doing a transaction with. I'm going to let Nick get kicked off on this one. He's got some some good thoughts here that that I want to hear him share, and then I'll tack huh? tack on on the All back right. end. Yeah, I mean, and, and one thing just uh, just going back up to the previous question a little bit. I mean, certainly self funded searchers have investors too, and they can have really robust advisors. So the investor question uh, might not necessarily be the filter that you want to filter for. Uh, certainly, there's a personal connection that's important. And we talked about the fact that you know there's 200 traditional search funds that are active, give or take. There's many, many more self-funded searches that are also active. Um, I think it's really difficult to paint with a broad brush here, as every searcher is an entrepreneur and they're all different. Um, but I think, we think, the best way to build credibility is by delivering insight on the industry, right? And John kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier. Insight on the industry and insight in the company we're approaching. Before we reach out to companies, we've already done research on industry trends, potential challenges the company might be facing, and how, I mean, how they could potentially uh, uh, address Mm -hmm. those. I mean, certainly no one knows the industry better than the owner that we talk to, owners that we talk to. Uh, you know, it's very difficult for us, even even going full time uh, to get spooled up in an industry compared to an owner who's been in the industry for decades. Yeah. I mean, the owner's going to know a lot more than we are. But if the searcher that you're talking to on the phone doesn't know anything about the industry, uh, yeah. maybe that's the sign. Maybe yeah, that's, that's the cool. sign that you're looking for. Um, John and I, John and I jumped in with both feet early on, you know, uh, and burned the boats uh, in order to in order to learn, get spooled up as quickly as we can. Um, but anyway, yeah, trial by fire, rock on. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And and as we touched on here with, with your, your introduction, Ed, I think it's really important to spend time getting to know the searcher, form a sense for their strengths, their leadership potential. Uh, do you feel comfortable in interpersonal communications? Can you see them working with your team and uh, managing the team and and kind of leading the team? Uh, there's, there's a lot of very talented individuals in the search ecosystem and each person has a unique background 
Uh, Nikki and I think that experience as an operator or working with teams is a good sign. Curiosity would be another indicator that somebody is capable of jumping into a business and learning the company, learning the operations, learning the product. And then lastly, beyond personal attributes, I think it's always good to validate that a buyer has access to the equity required to mm-hmm. close a deal. So it's it's always fair to ask a prospective acquirer for information on investor groups, those individuals' backgrounds or those groups' backgrounds, yeah. uh, just to make sure that there's credibility as it relates to being able to complete the transaction. So how much time, if I'm a business owner, how much time do you think I need to give you in order to make that assessment of of, of what you just spoke of, uh, that, you know, you're good guys, you're good operators, you're, you're going to operate in, you know, the business that's going to support the employees, support growth. How long should I give you? Are you saying from, uh, from like intro call <laughs> to close? So, uh, no, or? no, no. I'm, I'm saying that, yeah, I, I'm saying that the, the business, the feet, you know, the people that show up at my doorstep, they're mm-hmm. like, look, you know, this guy has dragged me around for the mm-hmm. last 90 days mm-hmm. asking me about all this information. Mm-hmm. They come in, we talk, and I don't have time to do that. I'm, I'm yeah. taking my foot off the gas. So, yeah. so that's kind of where I was heading is, all right, so how much, how much of an investment on the front end yeah. you know, should, should I be giving? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, the 90-day the number is funny. We talked about that. A lot in my former banker days, um, because that's really that's really the minimum amount of time that you should expect to close the deal. I think is is three months. You know, I think three months is on the low end from LOI from LOI to close. I'm talking just getting through the door. You call up. You call up, and you're like, hey, you know. and and we we start this report. You know, you're talking about a mm-hmm. little bit about mm-hmm. my my business. It's clear that you've done some homework. It's clear that you know we've got some. You know, we've got some. We're kind of. You know, we have some alignment on some mm-hmm. stuff. At what point am I, you know? Because this backs up to the legitimacy of the of the the fund or the 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 inquirer. Yeah. You know what am I? When do I say? Yeah. You know what? You know. Prove to me that you are what you say you are, and that's what I'm getting at. So yeah. How, how's well, that? certainly, I think in the, those initial conversations, you can learn a lot about the person. And I mentioned the industry, uh, the, the figuring out mm-hmm. via questions. I mean, you're the you, the owner, or the expert on the industry that you're in. Uh, and if you can discern that the searcher that you're talking to hasn't done a lot of research about your company or the industry, then may, maybe that's a sign right from the beginning. But uh, but for the searcher to figure out whether or not the com- the company that oh, he's talking to 100%. meets the meets the uh, requirements, I mean, there's gonna there's gonna be have to be some level of diligence that moves yeah. beyond the rapport building, and they'll have to they'll have to look uh, at either hear your financials verbally or look at an income statement or something no, to that no, effect, I, but that should be fast. That should be pretty quick. I mean, yeah, yeah. it no, shouldn't no, be I, 90 days. I, I get it. it. It had more to do with the, all right, I'm, I'm the business owner gatekeeper. I answer the phone and you're uh-huh. like, Hey, you know what? I've been, you know, I've been looking at your business, you know, at, at this industry, I'm really intrigued. And here's some, here's some things that I'm seeing. I don't know if you're seeing it in your business, but I certainly like to, to, you know, if you think, if you're thinking about, uh, you know, an exit down the road, 
I, I, I want to have an exploratory conversation with you. And, and the business owner is sitting there saying, yeah, this is the fourth call I've gotten this mm-hmm. week. You know, mm-hmm. how do, how do I tell the signal from the noise? And that's, and, and again, you, you mentioned, I mean, you know, having some command of the domain and understanding that's right. Yeah, that that's probably a good signal. Okay. So then the next question that I get is, you know, are you a hold, you know, buy and hold, or are you, are you a building to sell it? You know, and, and, and I know some are just hold goes and they'll keep it forever and they lead with that. Well, I mean, what, I guess, what is, what is 37th and Moss? And then, you know, is there one that's superior to the other? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at 37th and Moss, and, and I would say this is, generally true across search funds, the investment hold period is is long-term. And there's generally not a, an emphasis on, on quick returns. And there are a few benefits that come from being uh, buy and hold or, or long-term holders versus uh, short-term holders. And one of those is that you can make decisions that will yield results over an extended period of time. Maybe it's 24 months, maybe it's 36 months, depending on the type of decision. So these decisions tend to be less about near-term revenue or expense optimization. And instead, they're about sustainable long-term growth. And just a a quick story, I I met with someone recently who uh, was working for an equipment rental business. And this person shared an idea with me that really stood out about uh, buy and hold or long-term hold periods. And he said that in this order of importance, stability, profit, and growth were the priorities for him. Stability, profit, and growth. And this mentality really highlights that patience while seeking stability is important prior to shifting into profitable growth mode. And so the powerful benefit of of long-term hold is that the impact on compounding can be tremendous, right? And there's a long-term wealth creation effect and we need to look no farther than you know the likes of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger to understand the, the powers of compounding. Mm-hmm. But to to touch on the uh, kind of the more shorter holding period, however you want to characterize that strategy, and going back to the idea of of knowing your strengths as as an entrepreneur, there are a lot of folks who are talented at taking an idea from inception to product to product market fit, and then finally to scale distribution. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with with taking that approach. So from our vantage point, it's it's less about one being better than the other and about which is right for the entrepreneur's skill set. And for us at 37th and Moss, Nick and I are, you know, we're we're long-term holders. We want to make decisions today that benefit us three years from now. And, mm-hmm. and we're looking forward to benefiting from that compound growth. Is three years long term for you? <laughs> <laughs> It is when making a decision today, Ed. When, when I make a decision today with three years from now as, as the output timeline, it certainly feels long. I get it. Well, I, the reason I – and I wish I – years ago, I wish I would have started studying it a little bit closer because I, I would be curious to know the valuation comparison from Holco versus somebody that's going to buy – you know, build and sell. My – my I, my suspicion is that the the Holdco 
will pay a little bit more. And I think the, the, the build and sell is more, more applicable for the recap where the owner is going to participate in some, some capacity post sale. I think that, you know, I don't, I, like I said, I wish I would have, I wish I would have put pen to paper when I, you know, but I, you know, one day maybe I'll go back <laughs> and study it. So, um, so here's some of the questions that, that I get, and these are the rapid fire questions. So how do you find, how do you, everybody wants to yeah. know, how in the hell did you, they find me? Right. You know? I, I do my best. I don't answer any of them. I don't answer any calls. I tell them I none of their business, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So how do you find them? Yeah, I think um, there, there's a couple different ways. Uh, but one thing that I'll say is we touched on the fact that search popularity has grown. Well, of course, there's a market now for software that caters to search. Um, really? And that has grown too. Uh, <laughs> databases that were previously only available to large private equity firms are now ubiquitous in the search fund community. Uh, and, and they're really powerful tools. Uh, and so generally, generally the way some, ser some searchers might run broad uh, filters against the database and then reach out to whatever comes mm -hmm. back. Uh, for us, what we do is we develop an industry thesis and then look for, after familiarizing ourselves with that industry, Look for companies within that industry. Try to connect with people who aren't necessarily business owners to learn about that industry um, before reaching out uh, to business owners. And then meet business owners through the network. I mean, not just yeah. cold calling, uh, but talking sure. to people in person. Can you believe it? Uh, and and yeah. having lunch or coffee or whatever it is. So um, the the software out there is pretty powerful. It makes it easy to find companies very quickly. Uh, but I think a differentiated approach is by focusing on an industry first. Well, it, it's funny. So I, I, I got scolded by, we were, we were doing some solicitation ourselves and, and I got scolded by this business owner and he, he, he calls up and he's, he's chewing me out. And, and I'm like, let, let me just show you how, how easy it is to find you. Mm -hmm. And, and so I mean, we, we, we ended up having a friendly conversation, but I, I said, here, I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you a zoom link. We're going to hop on and I'm going to just show you what I saw and why, I, why I was targeting you. And you know, this guy's like, my God, the, you know, who, how did they get all that information? Like, That's right. Fudge. I have no idea, but <laughs> it's out there. If it's online, if it's online, <laughs> then it is uh, found. Right. You know. And, uh, and I like how you converted that to a call too. That's right. His, That's his right. objection to getting on a Zoom call to talk to talk you know, to him that was well, well done. That's a pro right there. No, no, it, it was. I, you know what? No, it was. And I hope the guy's not listening. I, I was I was really upset by it because it was like you know what? I'm just you know we're just doing our job. I didn't mean to. You know, I, I'm I'm not a fan of interruption marketing, but whatever. I I. I you, our client was looking for a company like yours and you know, that's how I got to you. And I'm sorry mm -hmm. if you're not looking at growing through acquisition, I don't know what else to tell you, mm -hmm. but you know, you know, I, or, you know, I, I'm sorry if you're not, in, you're not a, a target for my client, but, but you know, to come and chew me out. Ugh. 
people. So anyway, <laughs> it, it, it was out of anger, not not uh, not because I was a pro. I can assure you. Um. So so yeah, we 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 touched on how do they know so much about me, mm-hmm. and you know your industry recon coupled with you know getting into the network coupled with you know everything that's online answers that question, right? I mean, is there anything? that I miss on that? Well, yeah, I would, first of all, I just want to say that I, I have come to appreciate every company I've ever worked for that has sold a product, which is every business, <laughs> because getting out and prospecting is hard. Mm-hmm. And for those of us that have been entrepreneurs, but have come up through paths that weren't sales, gaining an appreciation for how difficult it is to sell a product is is yeah. important. And so as Nick and I have, have gone out and, and worked with uh, you know, entrepreneurs and getting in front of them and talking to them, we've really grown to appreciate the value that every salesperson we've we've worked with has created. So, yeah. I just want to give that that quick plug yeah. for for salespeople. But to your question, you know, we we actually don't know a lot about the business owners. We'd love to get to know them, and as Nick pointed out, publicly available information is is the starting point. Um, but from there, what we can typically do is glean insights into a business based on comparable public company data. So if we think about things like revenue per employee or industry profit margins or the industry's growth rate, we can use this information to kind of extrapolate a range that we would expect for the business to perform in or to exist in. But ultimately, we're relying on the owner to share insights once we connect with them about the team and the business so that we can you know, act with an informed opinion. Uh, so the business owner, one of the next questions they always ask is what's going to happen to my people? You know, they watch mm-hmm. too many movies mm-hmm. and, you know, and Grant, this dates me, but you, know, you got pretty woman. I'm coming in, I'm breaking up the company and I'm mm-hmm. going to sell off the pieces and that doesn't happen. But, but everybody's concerned about that. It might. So what do you, you know, what, what, what do you, what do you normally do with people? Mm-hmm. So Nick and I were really excited that this question was posed is posed because we ultimately think that this is a sign that someone cares about their people. And that's something we're looking for. We want a business that has a good team and good people. And I think this is one of the most compelling angles of our model of the entrepreneurship through acquisition model. We don't want the team to go anywhere. As a matter of fact, we're going to rely on the team heavily to guide the continued growth of the business. And so we're looking for a great team. We want to become partners of that team. And we don't intend to introduce change to the team. And as a kind of you know testament to how this approach varies relative to some other opportunities for a business sale, we're in a position such that we need the team. We want the team. And as operators, we don't know the business as well as the team. We're, we'll be the first to admit that. And so our first job is to get in and to learn, and we're going to depend on the team to do that. So uh, for us, what happens to the team? Nothing. We want the team and we want to work with the team. So speaking of teams, the, one, of the other, one of the other things that a business owner like, gives me feedback on is, oh my gosh, they came with their team and it's just me. And, and it's, they, and I know they're outgunned. I, I I do. I you you guys have, you guys are looking at. I I have to imagine many deals 
you know, simultaneous. So you've, so you've got the reps and that business owner doesn't, and they feel, and they feel, or at least they, they're doing their, you know, they're doing their Google search mm-hmm. and they're, they know that you know, people like you are looking at deals simultaneously and you've got a team and it's just them. So my question is when, when should they start thinking about a team? And, mm-hmm. you know, is there, do you see a particular time? I mean, is it the front end? Is it post LOI? Is it, you know, when, when does that work for you? Yeah. So I think, Ed, first of all, you're, you're convincing Nick to leave me at home so that business owners feel better when they, when they meet with uh, yeah. 37th and Moss. But no, this, this is a really good question. And, and it's an important question because, as you know, Ed, this is a, a foreign process to a lot of business owners who have uh, expertise in whatever discipline it is that they've ultimately scaled and, and turned into a business, but not in finance or selling a company or raising capital or so forth. So generally, I'd, I'd like to think about this as kind of if a business owner has a clear understanding of their goals in pursuing a transaction, or if the owner has previously navigated a sale process, then the owner may be well positioned to consider working directly with a buyer. But it's really important to note that in any transaction, it's advisable to rely on the counsel of an attorney, an accountant. Uh, folks who can give you guidance on on legal and tax matters. So certainly think that, you know, depending on the business owner's experience, there may or may not be a need for an advisor who's yeah. who's going to kind of usher them through the process of finding valuation and structuring the deal. Yeah. But in almost every case, it's a good idea to have uh, a lawyer, an accountant, somebody come in early on and, and kind of walk you through the process to make sure you're thinking about things in a way that benefits you. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add that the, uh, the attorney, uh, an experienced attorney, someone who's, uh, done, uh, uh, or experienced in M and a or experienced in your industry has done this a few times, uh, is very, very valuable. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah. using, um, you know, using somebody who knows what they're looking at, um, yeah. is can just increase the efficiency of the deal. And I think that, uh, especially as when it comes to legal, uh, and in some cases accounting, uh, we'd always recommend getting, getting advice, uh, from experienced, uh, M and a counsel. So, and, and you, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Cause I, I, I have strong feelings on, on, on intermediary involvement. Um, you know, my position is in and that I would much rather you go at it alone than have an incompetent intermediary. Mm-hmm. So I guess I, I'm asking, you know, from your standpoint, you know, is is it better, better or better or worse? Are you got any horror stories or or some good stories about you know if you've got a broker or an M and A advisor in between you and the owner? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we so as we mentioned. Earlier, we're, we we come from a background of of having experience with mm-hmm. professional services, particularly financial services and ad- advisory services. And there is certainly a ton of value that can be created by uh, you know a banker or a broker. And I think one of the benefits that Nick and I have seen recently uh, is talking about valuations. So when mm-hmm. when we talk to business owners that are looking at comps from two years ago uh, and not you know what what type of transaction values are taking place 
in the past three to six months. Typically, it creates a challenge for you know getting to overlap on the Venn diagram of valuation versus for deals that have brokers or bankers. That conversation has typically been had very early on because yeah. Ed, you're you're probably not going to work with someone that says, I want, you know, 13 times uh revenue for my business because you know the odds of getting that deal done are are you know low and you don't want to disappoint the the seller. Well, we got 17 people and you would think that that would resonate with a lot of our guys and and clearly it does not at times. It's like how how do you how are you possibly justifying this? And mm-hmm. and 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 we get sucked into that trap too. I and and it's like but but you have but in you pay the tuition in time. And yep. now all of a sudden it's like, look, you know, you're, you have no activity. No one's going to touch it. And now, mm-hmm. all right, we, we went through the, so now we've paid the tuition and now we're going to go back to where we said it was going to sell. And, mm-hmm. but in the meantime, you know, you look at, you know, targeting folks like you and, and we look, you know, you look, you look bad, <laughs> you know, you, you don't have, you don't have command of your client. And so if you don't have command of your client on the front end, how in the hell are you going to have command of your client on the back end? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we, we're bumping into that. Uh, yeah. As John, as John mentioned, I mean, they're really difficult conversations to have, uh, uh, the valuation conversation, nah. especially, but, um, you know, you're, <laughs> like we said, you're a pro Ed. so, uh, if you have them on the front end, uh, then, you know, it's much more the expectation is much more reasonable on the back end well you know it like i said it it, getting inventory for the sake of inventory and this is what i try to tell all all of our young guys is it's just it's not worth it and it just it isn't worth it and by taking on that engagement you're endorsing their ludicrous value if you say no now, you know, because, and, and this is the other side is I tell the guys, you know, when that guy goes and says, yeah, you know, these guys weren't able to sell my business. It wasn't because you're 13 times overpriced. It's because Ed didn't do his job. And all right. They, you would think after all this time of the, in the industry that people would, uh, you know, that, that, that would be more normal nomenclature, you know? But it is what it is. So the next question is, why do you need so much information? And, and what's appropriate and when? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, it's a question that really gets to a, a couple of, of key points. One is the reality of selling a business is that there's no rinse and repeat formula. Each business is unique and properly assessing the many moving parts of a business is an extensive undertaking. And owners obviously know their businesses inside and out because they live in the company. But for an outsider like Nick or myself, it's often the case that getting a complete picture of the business requires more than just revenue and expenses, especially given variations in things like accounting methods, uh, the way that a business makes strategic decisions, cash management, other kind of discretionary decisions that, that owners make. Now, if a prospective acquirer is attempting to determine interest from a buyer, and this, this kind of gets to the second point here, then I think it's always fair to go to that buyer and say, look, you've asked me for a ton of information. Could you please tier this information? 
tell me which of these is tier one must have for you to determine whether continued interest is high or or doesn't exist. And then tier two information would be relevant for a follow-up if the tier one information warrants further exploration. And I think this is important because business owners are, they're busy, right? There's no shortage of things for somebody that's running a company to do. And so given that there's, there is this kind of balance that takes place between a prospective buyer needs information, prospective seller has a lot on their plate, being able to parse out the things that can give the uh, prospective acquirer that early read on key points about the business that would warrant continued conversation is, is kind of a good uh, middle ground for, for groups to strike. Got it. Well, I'm bumping up on time. So I, I, I did want to get to this last question and you've looked at all these deals and I ask this of every guest that comes on. So in this case, I'm going to ask two, both of you. So hopefully either, well, maybe you guys might have different answers. I don't know, but if you had one piece of information or one piece of advice to give business owners and advisors, you know, that would have the most impact on their business from mm-hmm. whether it's value or saleability or both, what would that be? Yeah. I mean, this answer might sound, um, yeah, this might answer might sound trite at first, Ed, uh, <laughs> but I, I'm going to, I'm going to lean towards the latter part of your question in that even if a transition or secession isn't on the horizon, it's really important to think about what you want that eventual transition to look like because it will happen eventually. Um, and if, and if a, as a business owner, you take steps now to start thinking about getting your business ready for sale, you can really maximize the value of your business. That can include things like delegating uh, critical tasks and relationships uh, to trusted VPs or even just moving from a cash to an accrual accounting method. Uh, it, it, it can mean a lot of different things for depending on your business. Um, but whatever the desired outcome, you'll improve it if you start thinking about it and taking small steps early uh, to prepare yourself for when that, when that day does finally arrive. Okay. Yeah, and, and I'll touch on the, the former part of, of your comment about value there, Ed. I think it's really important to understand unit economics and that term gets used mm-hmm. kind of broadly and, and folks, I think, uh, you know, th- their attention may just divert elsewhere when they hear it, but it's, it's very important because your unit economics will dictate a lot of the strategic decisions that you end up making in your business. And it helps you understand how much cash your product can produce to cover fixed expenses that your business has, which ultimately gives you a strong sense for Things like capital structure, growth, funding growth, the employee count that you need. And if unit economics is something that is either foreign to you or you don't have a good grasp on, it could be a sign that an investment in accounting infrastructure and finance infrastructure is important. So if if you haven't taken time to really look at your financials with a controller or or a bookkeeper and, and understand the general ledger, understand how the books are being built, then I think that's a great step to take as you continue to educate yourself about your unit economics and think about how that makes things like growth or strategic decisions available to the business. All right. Well, I'll tell you. So, so Nick's answer I, I've heard before. I'm John. I'm telling you, you're. I think you guys are episode one hundred two or three. 
Haven't heard that one. Unit economics. All right. That's a that's a good one. Sorry. Sorry, Nick. Oh, I, man. <laughs> can't help it. Um, all right. So so what's the best way to connect with you guys? Well, first off, we're just thrilled to talk to talk to whomever would like to reach out, even if you're not a business owner and you're listening and you want to talk about what does a search fund mean? Uh, feel feel free to reach out at any point. Um, you can get either of us by email, uh, me, Nick, at 37thandmoss.com or John at john at 37thandmoss.com. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn. Uh, but like I said, happy to speak with anybody who's either interested in this path um, or any business owners who want to chat about why these searchers keep calling them. Well, I'll, I'll have all of all of your contact information in the show notes. Um, so the deals that you're looking for, uh, is is that on the website or, or do you want to send me a deal sheet and I'll include that in the show notes or do you want to give a high, high uh, kind of an overview of what you're looking for? Now's the time to do it. Nick, you want to take it away? Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> like we said from the top, Ed, uh, we, we like B2B services and technology companies. John and I have a background in software primarily. Um, and in general, we're looking for for software companies. That's kind of the core target with uh, exposure to industrial end markets is the okay. is the fancy MBA way of saying we like uh, we like software for manufacturing companies. Um, and so that's that's the industry that we, we're focused on um, right now. Uh, we're headed to a conference next week. I know this probably won't air until after the conference. But if you're at South Tech in Greenville, South Carolina, we'd love to say hello. Uh, and um, yeah, that's that's who we're talking to. South Tech. All right. Well, I guess first things, uh, Nick, thanks for your service. I, no, uh, thanks, Ed. No, it's, uh, yeah, we, we don't, we don't recognize people like you enough. So thanks for that. And, and thank you both for, for coming on I, and, and your transparency. You know, it's, it's yeah, a lot. I, I think a lot more deals would get done if there was, you know, just, just more understanding that, you know, there, there's bad actors in, in every industry, but you know, here's how this really is supposed to work. And so I, I really applaud, applaud both of you for coming on and being transparent on, you know, this is, this is how we find you. This is how, you know, this is how this whole thing works. And, you know, are you the right deal for us? I don't know, but you know, it, it can't hurt to have the conversation mm -hmm. you and as business owners, yeah, you, know, you just need to be sensitive of your time. And I think that's one of the most important things that you shared today was what is the noise and what's the signal. So, so thanks for coming on. It's, it was great to have you. Thank you, Ed. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us, Ed. This was another episode of the Defenders of Business Value podcast. For more episodes packed with strategies to increase the value of your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com for show notes, transcripts, and free tools to start you on your journey. Subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes.